So welcome to this podcast today. It's actually a special episode because this is my first podcast together with Adam Wilder from togetherness.com and Adam will be co-hosting with me some podcasts going forward and this is our first ones together where we'll discuss different topics around relationships and sexuality and we will also be taking questions from the audience and try and answer your questions on a weekly basis. So I think what we want to start with on this episode today is to focus on what we call the pleaser syndrome. And we want to talk a bit about what it is, why it's there, and what we can do about it. So first of all, before we dive in, I just want to say welcome, Adam. And yeah, thank you for being on this podcast with me. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. And I think this will be fun. So do you want to maybe jump into just giving me your thoughts or or the listeners your thoughts on the pleaser syndrome? What that really is because some people might be sitting out there and thinking what are these guys talking about yeah sure pleaser syndrome this is really deeply wired into us from um as babies and also in prehistory and this is our need to be part of a group and not to be rejected uh and it was it's important as a baby because we can't look after ourselves at all so we need to make sure that our parents are there and that they they love us and that they give us what we need otherwise we'll literally die and it was the same in in prehistory when we were in these hunter gatherer groups of 150 being rejected from a group back then could could mean as well death uh, you don't have the protection of the group. You don't have the resources. So there's this deeply ingrained urge in us to be part of something. Have you ever experienced that in your life, Tom? Yeah, I think we all have. So I think, and this brings me a bit back to also this idea and the culture that we live in, because I think you're right. A lot of it has to do with our history, our biology. And part of it, I also feel, is cultural because we really live in a world that glorify individuality where we learn you know confident means that we can deal with things ourselves and we don't need others and i think this is such a big fallacy and lie that we've been told because we are by definition and neuroscience have verified this we are social creatures our brain is a social organ and we need other people and we learn through social interaction even when we hear this just learn to love yourself the thing is not true we actually learn our self-worth we learn love through our social interactions. And that's true. Once we learn that, we are able to give it to ourselves, but we have to learn it somewhere first and we have to get that validation. Um, so I think there's no one that happened to some extent, you know, felt that need to have to please other people. And, yeah. you know, we can also even, and you're right, it starts from childhood so early. And I even see when, when we are told to be nice, And that we have to accommodate other people and we are told, you know, don't do that because it will hurt someone else. And we learn that we have to caretake other people's emotions, sometimes at the expense of our own boundaries and needs, even the simplest thing, because I have two children and I even Mm. see, you know, when people pick them up and start kissing them or tickling them and they don't actually want it. And yet they don't really know how to stop it. And again, if they don't learn very quickly that they are able to actually say stop and that people should respect that, then they automatically just learn that sometimes your boundaries are violated and we just have to accept that. Right. I mean, that reminds me of when I was really, really small and I had a great grandmother and, you know, um, I was, uh, you know, she would lean in and, and kiss me and she had hairs growing out of her face and I really didn't want to be kissed by her. 
but I had no idea that I could say, you know, don't do that. I felt I had to let her do that. And the thing is that growing up like that, this eats away at our sense of uh, personal sovereignty. And, you know, sometimes it is really good to put others first. But when we don't know there's any other choice, it can lead to us not being able to look after ourselves properly. And if we can't give ourselves what we need to be healthy and whole in the world, then we can't really show up for other people. We can't really live a really happy life. So it's very important skills. It's a big deal with, with parents, right? We want to, we love our parents generally, and we want to please them, right? We want to do uh, well, at sc- well at school. So we want to meet the expectations of our parents. And for me, particularly, I wanted that so badly that I completely lost touch with my own sense of what I wanted. And I would always try and answer a question with the answer that I thought the person wanted. So if someone even asked me, you know, what what show would you like to see at the cinema? I didn't have a clue. And it's only as an adult that I started putting things back together and getting back in touch with my own needs. So the, the, tr- the shadow of this pleaser syndrome is it can actually wipe out our sense of self. Yeah, that's such a beautiful point. And again, I can... I can relate so much to what you're saying. And even, you know, for me, it was very much about that I experienced some physical violation as a child by by some peers and how that really impacted the fact that I could only feel safe if I knew that other people liked me. And therefore, I felt, you know, if I pleased other people, I would not be harmed. Um, And in doing so, I then started negating both my own boundaries, but also not expressing what I actually needed. Because again, Mm -hmm. fundamentally, safety is what we prioritize first, right? Even if it Mm -hmm. compromises our well-being and that we don't feel emotionally well. um, Most of all, our body and mind want us to survive. And this is where that awareness is so important. And for me, I really learned that a lot through the five rhythm dancing that I'm doing, where I really had to start sensing when being in proximity of other people, do I actually want to dance with these people or do I not? And how do I then stay attuned to what my needs are compared to what this other person's needs are that might want to dance with me? And how do I express my boundary in a firm but gentle way? And working with that somatically and being present at those sensations in my body of when my boundaries are violated, the discomfort and where I feel that has brought a lot more awareness and given me a much better ability to enforce my boundary and express my needs. Yeah, that's great, Tom. It's great. There's so many embodied tools that we can use now to look at our sense of sovereignty and our, our boundaries. And I think dancing is a, is a great space to really express ourselves with it. And maybe at the end of the podcast, we could talk about some other ideas of how people can help to practice this. But I think it could be interesting to look at the pleaser syndrome in relation to romantic relationships, because that's probably the most common thing that people are experiencing uh, right now. And this is the need to please your girlfriend or please your boyfriend, not to upset them in any way in case you get rejected. And uh, this is something I used to be an expert at, you know, I was, I was an expert pleaser. And then I didn't understand when the relationships finished. And the thing is, if your partner has, if you have no boundaries, 
your partner has nothing to push against. So they can just keep pushing and pushing and pushing into nothingness. And pretty soon the relationship will collapse because it's not satisfying to be in a relationship when someone would just do exactly what you want all the time. You want someone who's going to challenge you a little bit, who you can discuss things with, who you can develop and evolve with. And if you're not looking after yourself at all. There's no chance for this other person to evolve with you either. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful point, Adam. And I also feel that one thing that at least helped me and it might help the listeners learn how to start sensing and expressing their boundaries is the fact that expressing boundaries is actually a gift to your romantic relationship mm -hmm. because the fact is, you know, one of, and we talked earlier about the consequences, one of the consequences in romantic relationships when one party allow their boundaries to be violated or don't express their needs is that eventually it will lead to resentment. And resentment is one of the top killers of romantic relationships. It will create distance and eventually disintegration, withdrawal and disintegration of the relationship. So in expressing our boundaries and needs, we're doing two things, I think. One, you're right, we do it for ourselves, so we can obviously get our needs and don't get violated. But we also do it in the way that we prevent resentment and in therefore maintain the relationship for both parties. And I think... There's a third benefit, which is major, is because I know it is an issue for both men and women, but I know a lot of women in particular that have this issue as they're brought up to have to be nice girls, etc., and have that yeah. feeling that they shouldn't say something that could hurt, you know, the man's feelings. And actually in trying to protect the man in this way, they really harm the relationship so much because the man can only truly feel free when he knows that his woman can protect and take care of her own boundaries. Because if she can't do that, he has to constantly caretake and be worried that he will potentially violate her, at least if he's a decent man that doesn't want to violate her, right? And it basically mm. makes him less free. And I always said to partners I had that in expressing their boundaries, they were doing me a favor because they allowed me to feel more free in my expression with them. So there are just so many benefits in learning to express our boundaries and our needs clearly with our partner. You're so right, Tom. It's like we it's like you're weeding the garden every time you're expressing your needs and you discuss them and it develops your relationship. You get into this adult state where it becomes a natural and normal thing. Because actually there's so many pressures that stop us from expressing our needs. You know, we're afraid what happens if they maybe they're going to make fun of us. That's one. Maybe they're going to reject us. Maybe they're going to think we're stupid. Maybe they're going to think that it, we're not valid to have that need. Maybe we don't feel worthy ourselves of being able to express our needs. And these are all ways that we can stop ourselves from talking about what we want. And like you say, when we don't, it just generates resentment and eats, eats away at the foundation of a relationship. Yeah, I can even see the pattern when I look back at my marriage and potentially what caused it to disintegrate. I can see the slow progression of me suppressing my own needs and feeling that, you know, they were not important and therefore constantly not getting my needs and also allowing my capacity to be overstepped again and again and again. And how eventually, even without my awareness at the time, this caused resentment. Um, and where I got to a point where I simply didn't want to be with her anymore. And I think only afterwards did I start getting that awareness where I could see these patterns and also accept responsibility. Because it's important to remember that while other people certainly should not violate us, 
we also bear responsibility in expressing our boundaries because they might not even know that they're violating us if they don't know that there is a boundary. Um, and this is why I think it's so important for both parties to look at themselves and see what responsibility do I bear here? Because, yeah, a lot of people often will violate you without actually having any mean intent simply because you're not actually expressing what those boundaries and needs are. So, Adam, one of the things that you mentioned a bit earlier in the podcast was, you know, what can people actually do if they have this sensation in their body and they they feel it's really difficult to express themselves? You know, what what options do they have? And that's something I think I would love to touch on. Do you want to say something about that or should I jump into to some points around that? Let's let's start. I think that nonviolent communication gives you brilliant tools to express yourself. And this is about taking the emotional charge out of what you're saying and explaining in a very matter-of-fact way. And I recommend everyone to have a look at Marshall Rosenberg's NVC training. The principles are online. It's really handy. And another thing is to create space with this person to really express your needs to them. And what would be a good way for for people to do that? And I also get with the first thing you said about nonviolent communication. Yeah, it's a great book. I, I got it here as well and read it actually a couple of times. I think an important point I found because I tried nonviolent communication and what yeah. I found is when I'm really triggered or feel really resentful, I couldn't do it, right? Because my my brain got flooded with adrenaline. And of course, we lose that cognitive control to express ourselves in a calm manner. And the one thing I really found that is important to do before going into nonviolent communication is that if you know you're in a triggered state, you feel angry, you want to attack, you want to blame, you want to withdraw, whatever it is, you're in that adrenaline response, then you need to do something to first release adrenaline. And that, you know, for me, and I would also recommend for most people, should involve some kind of physical activity or movement because uh -huh. adrenaline is meant to be released physically, right? It was meant to make us escape or fight. So I either use my boxing bag or I will go for a run and that will allow some of that adrenaline out. And only after I've done that, am I actually able to sit down and, and have a, like you said, a nonviolent communication. That's great. I love the idea of the, the punch bag. That's great. And there's other ways of expressing this as well. So Pillow screaming is actually a great one where you get a big pillow, the kind that you sleep on. You put it really close to your mouth, you push it into your face and you just scream and shout as much as you want. And it stops the neighbors from thinking someone's being murdered. You know, they can't hear you. And yet you can express all of that. Another really great thing is if you have someone, a friend who can listen to you, And just to tell them everything that you're feeling and really go into it. The thing is, we tend to hold back with what we're feeling. We feel like we're not allowed to feel it. What happens if we feel it so much, we might just destroy the room or whatever. But to really go into it, really tell them, I'm feeling so angry. I'm feeling so disrespected right now. And to not be afraid of your emotions and your feelings and just to express them. And once you've expressed that wave, in whatever way, by running or screaming or, or talking or, or shouting, then you can calm down a bit and you can really go into what what is it that you really want to express? What is it that you're really, really feeling? And that's a good place to start when you want to communicate to this other person. Beautiful. I really like that. And I think you're right, Adam, that even reaching out to friends when we need to 
offload can be really good rather than doing it to our partner because you know we get triggered much more by the people closest to us and you know as partners you probably can trigger each other more than anything so sometimes when you are in that stress response having somebody else that you can release that imminent overload to and then come back to your partner more calm can be really beneficial and i like the pillow that you mentioned and i've definitely done that myself at times when i just need a release and also oh it's so good and also just the the breathing and i know you do this a lot too adam and so do i remember to actually breathe slowly and deeply because that activate the nervous system that you know slows us down and calms us down rather than these quick shallow breaths that we normally naturally do when we're stressed that actually activate more adrenaline so just really remember to focus on breathing um because that can also really brings us back into the the body and help us sense our own body which you helped me with the other day when i had a, a stress response and you came to assist and i reached out to you and you came and you helped me settle into my body simply through touch and helping me remember to breathe and slow down so i could sense what was going on yeah when your when your breathing out is longer than your breathing in your nervous system thinks oh i must be relaxed because if you're in a tense state if you're in danger you can't uh, you, literally your internal organs are more contracted and you can't breathe sh- uh, long and, and deep So that's a really, really good one. And of course, we want to let that wave pass before we talk to our partner, because if we come to them and we're angry and they feel threatened and attacked, their stress response means that they just go into full defense mode and you can't really communicate properly from that place. You can express anger, but you might not get anywhere. Yeah, and then we got the cycle again, right? Because one person feel attacked and they become defensive and the negative cycle starts all over again and nobody can hear each other. Because as I say, when two people, your partners are both in stress response, the adults have left the room and you basically just got two shouting kids or so one shouting and one sitting quietly, um, shutting down and you're going to go nowhere except cause more harm. So I always feel the first step is to manage your own stress response. Go take care of that physical movement, scream to a pillow, contact a friend, breathe deeply, do whatever you need to do to calm down before you engage with your partner. So I guess the first step is even being able to recognize when you're in that stress response, right? Because otherwise you can't do anything. And having that self-awareness to feel in your body, for me, I know is when my stomach starts tensing up because Uh that's the first sign of adrenaline being pumped into my body. My stomach gets really tense. And I know, okay, I'm in a stress response now and I'm unable to function logically, have logical conversations or make any good decisions. So I just need to find a way to calm my nerves. And, you know, when I reach out to you, then that's what I used as my strategy because I couldn't go running or boxing. I had my kids. So I knew being able to have you here, process it with you and being able to have that grounding touch, that's what would help calm down my nervous system. For other people, the stress response might, you might feel a real fogginess in your head, like you don't know what to do. You feel boxed in. You might feel tension in your in your head, in your stomach. You might feel like you're leaning forward a bit and making yourself a bit smaller. And like you say, Tom, the first thing is just to notice that you're in that and take a few steps to open up and express it and let the wave pass. Yeah. I'd really like to talk a little bit more, if it's okay with you, about the NVC process, nonviolent communication process, because there's four steps to it. 
And this is how we can really communicate with our partner, with someone at work in a way that they can really hear and that can be really generative. Yeah, beautiful. Do, okay, do you want to do you want to talk us a bit through that so so the listeners can get an idea of how they can maybe apply that process? The first thing is you want to make some observations which are free from evaluations or judgment. Do you have any examples, Tom? So I guess it's it's expressing it's expressing our emotions without actually blame language, right? Without actually going into blame or attacking the other person, but just describing how something impacted us is that kind of what you want to do yeah exactly exactly it's it's the impact of a situation yeah i i can i think i could give an example for that so okay. I, i i think maybe an example could be let's say that i have arranged a date with my partner and she hadn't turned up i guess there's a few different ways this could be communicated uh Um, a destructive or a violent communication which would be attacking and blaming that would shut down my partner would be why are you always late i've been waiting here forever and you know i hate waiting for you if you can't be on time i'm not gonna go on dates with you again again it involves blame a threat and she's likely to shut down and not even be able to hear and acknowledge what happened because it's more violent communication while i think a way to do this non-violently could be Thank you for showing up. I just really want to share with you that I feel really tense in my stomach and I feel really like I'm not valued when you show up late and you don't tell me and it and it makes me feel a lot of sadness and rejection. And I would really appreciate if in the future you could just call me and tell me you're going to be 15 minutes late because that would really put my body at ease. Yeah, that's great. You've just taken us through the whole process there. So the first thing we had was the observation. You know, I noticed that when you're late or you don't call me and tell me about it, that I feel tense in my stomach. And then you talk a bit more about your feelings and you say, I don't feel valued. And then you talked about your needs a little bit, which is how you, you know, to be in a relationship, you need to feel like you're valued and you need to feel like you can trust each other. And then the fourth thing is you, you made a request, you know, which is, you know, in the future, if you're going to be late or if this is going to happen, then please uh, tell me so that uh, that I'm aware. And that's really adult. You know, that's much more adult than, why are you late? You're always late. I hate you. You're the worst girlfriend ever, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think also this process, even though it's not directly described in the in the four steps, I think is really something that's so difficult for us again in our cultures because we learned this idea that we should be confident and strong and especially as men not show emotion and that's vulnerability vulnerability is required for this process because that's how we connect with other people and feel empathy and again when i said you know i revealed a lot about myself to my partner in saying it makes me feel really insecure and like i'm not valued and that's really yeah. vulnerable to expose but it's also where my partner instead of going into a stress response and feeling attacked can activate her empathy right instead where she'll actually be able to hear me and connect with me and that is really how we engage empathy instead of the fear response and this is why that brings connection while the the violent communication brings disconnection right yeah absolutely and as a as a man growing up And to all the other guys out there as well, you might have experienced this, that this feeling, the need that we have to be the masters of everything, know exactly what's going on. 
can really eat us up inside if we feel like we don't know what's going on and we're not allowed to communicate that to anyone. And the partners I've had where I've been able to tell them about my vulnerabilities and my feelings, I'm just always blown away because they just love it. And they're like, wow, I love that. I want more of that. I feel so connected to you when you tell me what's going on like this. So like you say, Tom, it's really a way to a more intimate, a more deep, a more profound connection with each other. And you can actually then really support each other when you're able to say what's really going on. Yeah, and I think also there's so much healing to happen in that space because that's where we can start heal some of the childhood wounds that we have that cause constant conflict in our relationships, right? These triggers, because then the other person might actually be able to give us what we were never given and we can then start healing and calm down our nervous system around these things. So it's just such a beautiful way as well, I feel. And this is why relationship in so many ways are beautiful. People often say, why should I be in relationship? I can go on Tinder or whatever these apps are called and find a new person easily. But the fact is, yes, you can have sexual variety in that way, but you need to be in relationship to be, and that, it doesn't have to be monogamy. It can be multiple relationship, monogamy, but you need to somehow be emotional connected for another person to be able to heal these parts of yourself. And yeah, this is where vulnerability, I always say safety, vulnerability and acceptance are the three keys to intimacy in a relationship and they must all be present. And I think when we talked about what can you do if you have the pleaser syndrome and really struggle expressing your needs and boundaries, I think one thing that people can really do and what really helped me is to go out and find a community or surround yourself with people that are acceptant so of course if you go out and try and do this process with people that are judgmental you might be re-traumatized and you might shut down even more so go out and find people in your life that are really accepting look for how they talk about other people are they judgmental then maybe they would not be the good person to reveal to your needs and boundaries are they somebody who seem to stand up for other people and be very tolerant then they might be much safer and i really recommend then practicing with those people that you know have a lot of acceptance expressing your boundaries and needs and as you start getting the validation that your needs are okay and your boundaries are accepted it become easier than to do with other people that might not be as accepting That's great. Surround yourself with good people you can practice with. I love that. And you can also practice exploring what's it like to be more accepting of others as well, mm -hmm. to accept the bits of them that would annoy you or whatever, to, to go underneath that and find out why it's going on so that you can create empathy for them as well. And there are communities and practices that you can do to get really in touch with yourself and your, your own needs and to practice expressing them in a, in a sort of laboratory type uh, style. So there's something called circling, which is a really great process for coming into absolute presence with yourself, coming into absolute touch with what you're thinking and feeling in that moment. And another modality I'm a big fan of, I'm working a lot with this year, is called the Wheel of Consent created by Dr. Betty Martin. And that's like a somatic toolkit for understanding our sovereignty and our needs. And you can practice that. I've got a video called The Three Minute Game, which is a great physical touch game. You can play with a partner or friends or family, and you can really start exploring this. And something that can be profoundly healing is 
asking for something that's a bit vulnerable and then actually receiving it. That can just be amazing because when have we been taught that we can do that? Yeah, I love that. And you know, I would even, if because we're talking about romantic relationships here, even in the realm of sexuality, there's few things more intimate and healing than expressing you know, our hidden sexual desires to a partner and feeling that they accept it. And when I say this, it's important because some people might be, oh, but I don't want to give her or him what they want. Remember, you'd never have to give anyone anything, but we can accept their needs without even having to give it to them if we feel it's violating for us. And even for them to experience the acceptance if they can't have it can be hugely connecting and healing, right? To suddenly be able yes. to reveal ourselves. And this is what's often missed when we talk about We'll do this in another podcast, Adam, but when we get in and talk about sexuality, it's so often focused on sexual techniques and physical stimulation to talk, while we often don't engage with all these emotional elements. And the fact is we always have sex because we want to feel something, whether it's connection, love, power, acceptance, we want to feel something. But I think we'll do another podcast on that because that's a, a massive topic. But I just wanted to quickly touch on that. Um, that there's such a beautiful healing in in revealing those parts and feeling accepted by the other party. Yeah, what a juicy topic. I'm I'm looking forward to that podcast. <laughs> you, you know like what? You say <laughs> <laughs> it actually brings me to a question I want to ask you as well here because, huh? you know, so we're expressing our needs. We're getting better at. We're practicing. We found accepting friends or, or partners and people in our lives that can that can meet us and hear us. But what about eventually we're going to end up feeling disappointment, right? Because nobody can give us everything we need. And that's unrealistic to expect from any partner, right? They, you yeah. know, they have their own life and they're going to be tired, even though, you know, I would love for you to be here and give me a massage right now, but you can't do that. So eventually we'll feel disappointment. How can people then deal with that disappointment without going into resentment and anger again? Yeah, that's a great point. And it's this soulmate delusion that we've been sold, which is in our culture right now, that there's one person that's going to meet all our needs. So of course, we're going to feel disappointed and upset, you know, the first time they give us a coffee with the wrong number of sugars in, you know, and we're like, oh my God, but if they were really my soulmate, they would know, you know, and the whole relationship unwinds from that point. And I know so many people who have these very short, very intense relationships right now where they feel like they've met their soulmate and it's going great for three months. And then one little thing happens. It's like, no, they can't be my soulmate because they would never have played that music for me. You know, they would know that um, I love Frank Sinatra or whatever it is. So I, the first thing is to say, I think in this culture right now, it's natural for us to feel a bit disappointed because we're sold a lie, which is that one person can be everything for us. And secondly, okay, let's just start accepting it. Maybe there's not one person that can do everything for us. We have complex and varied needs. We come from so many different cultures and backgrounds. We've, we've all had different lives growing up. So actually, we can just start to look to get those some of our needs met elsewhere. And that's what it's all about. And maybe it's about having a conversation about that. And your partner might find that difficult because they might feel this pressure as well to be, they have to be the center of everything for you. Yeah, you know, Adam, this is just, I love the point that you're putting across here. It's so important to really get that down because then we can manage our expectation in a realistic way. And also, like you said, outsourcing because there's lots of needs that, you know, are, are 
partner can't be everything for us. And there's a and like you said, often when we express that, they could get triggered. And this is where again we come back to the framework of safety because we can always start out by reassuring our partner and saying, you know, I get you can't give me all this because nobody can give me everything I need. So, you know, here are some things, needs that I need to get from my friends and from this person, but I'm still here with you. I'm not going to leave you because I think when people get defensive and hurt is because they're worried really that they're going to be left, right? They feel maybe yeah. that they're not enough. So I always feel if we start the conversation with reassurance, it's much more likely that they can actually hear us. I think that's really good. And the other thing to say is it's very strong for a relationship when you can understand your partner has different needs and give them a bit of space mm. to meet those other needs. You know, maybe you share some entertainment stuff you love doing together, but maybe they have some intellectual interest, which you don't share. But the fact that you let them, you know, you're happy for them every Tuesday to go to the uh, historical society or whatever <laughs> to, to discuss their, their books or is really, really good. And that provides so much safety Feeling that you can, your partner can give you a bit of space to meet your own needs, that creates safety. And as a, as a man, that's something that I really appreciate in a relationship. Yeah, thank you for that point, Adam. And I think also when we talked about what can we do to deal, I think when we have disappointment, there's really, we can go two routes. One is that we shut down and we become defensive or attack each other. And, you know, I say, why don't you give me this? And, you know, I give, I'll do all this for you. And again, then we are back in a negative cycle that leads nowhere except to conflict and destruction. But I also see in disappointment, and people often get surprised when I say this, I see a big opportunity for connection. Because if one person is feeling disappointed, all they really want is to be heard and seen. And mm. as men, we always think we have to be able to give it to them and fix it. And we feel frustrated when we can't. When we learn that actually we don't always have to be, and we can't always give it to them, but we can still listen to them. And in listening to them and acknowledge their disappointment and being present with them in that disappointment and maybe giving them a hug and saying, I'm here with you and I feel your frustration that you can't do this and I can't give this to you. There can actually be a lot of connection and people can then come together within disappointment rather than move apart. Tom, I think this is one of the golden rules of relationships and especially any men listening out there, you've probably experienced this. Your partner's upset about something and you want to try and fix it and they just get more and more annoyed with you. And you're so right. What we need to do here is just give our full total presence and to, just to say, like, I, I, hear, I hear you're really angry. I'm sorry you're feeling angry. I'm here with you, etc. Just to acknowledge how they're feeling and to let them know that you can see them, that you're there with them. That's the most important thing. Because really when someone's telling you they're upset about something, it's usually not about, it's not your job to fix it. And if you do try and fix it, you're, trying, you're almost disempowering this other person. And that's another reason why they get upset. Yeah, and even trying to fix it, just I think just acknowledge the fact that it's actually the emotion that they want acknowledged in that moment. And, and taking that away can actually be, even more frustrating. And this is what was so beautiful about your support the other day when I called you up, I spoke to other people and they started giving me practical advice. And I noticed in my nervous system, it actually makes me more frustrated and feel more alone because they didn't hear the sadness and frustration I was in and the triggered state. They didn't acknowledge that. So actually it made me feel worse. While you didn't try to fix it, you just came and gave me your presence and the grounding touch and heard 
my frustration and acknowledge that. And that really helped calm me down. And it's so beautiful to see these two contrast, right? And why your approach work was exactly that reason, that you had presence and you acknowledged without trying to fix anything. And I felt heard and seen. And that made my whole nervous system just calm down and feel better. Yeah. And it's nice you talk about the touch as well, because touch can be really good, but not uninvited touch, right? But sometimes, you know, hand on the shoulder or stroking the head or something like that can be really, really lovely. And it's nice to ask our partners, you know, what what kind of touch they like so that we're prepared for this situation. Yeah, that's a wonderful point. Thank you, Adam. And I also want to, yeah, one of the last things I want to get into here is, so we talked about that people should be more vulnerable, but I just want to maybe also ask you, and, and I'll put a bit of input in here, why is it so difficult to be vulnerable? Because in essence, it's just really saying how we are feeling in the moment. But even when we have self-awareness, it's very difficult for a lot of people to express. Why is that? And what can people actually do about this? Yeah, I think this comes back to this archetypal primeval fear of rejection that we talked about a bit at the beginning. Mm. You know, my needs aren't valid. If I express my needs, this person isn't going to love me anymore. They're going to dump me. Now, here's the truth is that when you express yourself, you're being vulnerable. You're taking a risk because you don't know how they're going to receive it. But think of it like this. Would you want to spend your life just pretending with someone in a relationship where you don't really feel comfortable to express your needs. Or maybe it's better to express your needs. and Maybe that relationship will finish, you know, and sure, that's going to be sad, but maybe you'll find someone else where you can really be yourself, where you can be whole, where you can be supporting and, and loving of each other. So my advice is, is to, to, to take the risk. I mean, you can decide when to take it, but it's good to take it. And maybe not on a first date, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe you're not sitting there at dinner. <laughs> These are my vulnerabilities. These are my needs, you know. Can you, can you fulfill them? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. And you know, that that's one other thing that I want to, to add to this is the fact, and I think I mentioned that before too, earlier in the podcast, is this incorrect idea that, we are supposed to be able to take care of everything ourselves, and and if we can be individuals and sort everything ourselves and don't need other people, then we are strong, and that's a good thing. That's praised and valued, um, and that this is fundamentally false. That we are these social beings. We need connection. We do need other people also to feel good about ourselves. That's a fact. You know, there's a reason that people who've been bullied they don't feel good about themselves, and people who were told they were great they feel good about themselves because they had that validation that has now been integrated where they can give it to themselves. So you don't have to do it all by yourself. And, you know, it's absolutely okay to also not have everything under control. And it's normal to all have insecurities. We all have them. Some people just hide them better than others. And in hiding them, they shut down intimacy and connection for themselves. So the goldmine really is being able to accept that we need others. And revealing that does not mean you're weak. If anything, it shows a tremendous amount of courage. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's good to surround yourself with people that you can talk to about these things. Maybe it is really difficult to say something to your partner, something you're feeling vulnerable about. Maybe you have friends you can talk to about it. Tonight, Tom, we're doing a men's group, aren't we, with some some friends. That's and right. I'm so excited about that. And 
I'd recommend to any men, any women, sometimes it's a lot easier to be vulnerable when you're just with people of your own sex. And there's a real benefit in that. Uh, that no one's trying to pick anyone up. Your nervous system can relax more. And the more you can share your vulnerability with these people where you can practice it, the more you'll be able to express it in your life. And this can be beneficial, not just with romantic relationships, but also with, with your family, with your friends. And also you can apply this in your workplace as well to be real. And people, people can relate to you a lot more when you're real. Oh yeah, I think, like I said, as a gold mine in my life, there's been no bigger significant change in my entire life than learning to be vulnerable and grounded and even feeling vulnerability. And yes, it takes practice like everything else, but like you said, it applies to everything, not just a romantic relationship. And it brings this beautiful connection that just enriched life in a way I can't really describe to people that haven't tried it before i used to feel i lived in an emotional desert and i never really feel that connected to people because i always saw everything as an exchange you know what value can i get and what what do i have to give to get my value and it was so disconnecting to live in that way until i realized that there's a place where we can actually reveal ourselves and our vulnerability and experience acceptance and give that to other people too and what a beautiful connection that that enriched both in friendships but also in, in romantic relationships I remember I had a particular breakthrough moment. I had this girlfriend who I was madly in love with. And she basically, over a weekend, she went away to this uh, retreat and she pretty much stopped uh, talking to me. And I, I knew something was wrong. When she came back, we met up and, you know, she said she'd, she'd met her ex-boyfriend and they'd fallen back in love. And, you know, she wanted to finish things with me. And I remember I was just devastated. I don't know if you ever had this where, where your heart's broken and you don't want to eat and you don't want to do anything and you just feel desolate. Yes. And, and that's how I was, I was feeling. And, uh, and I was, we, we were sitting in a park and talking and, um, and I was about to leave. I said, right, that's it. I'm going home. She said, well, well, why, why don't you stay here with me? And, um, I knew in that moment what I wanted to do was stay there and cry in her lap. And I think it was a combination of the depth of emotion that I was feeling and her ability to, even though she wanted to split up with me, that she was quite emotionally evolved and she was willing to be there for me. And so I just cried in her lap and that changed my relationship with women forever for the better. Oh. And so this is something that you can do for your partner as well, or just for other human beings is just to be accepting, just to connect to that humanity in them and to give them space for it. Of course, you decide when you want to do that. You don't let people willy nilly cry in your lap, but when, when you want to, when you, when you're willing to do that, it can be so powerful for someone to feel that they are accepted. Their emotions are accepted. And, Like I say, it can be deeply transformational. Yeah. And so, I've just, yeah, I love on. this point, Adam. So I just want to really add that, you know, I also have a lot of men that ask me for advice. And I think if there's one important piece of advice that I could give to a lot of men, the gift that they can give is exactly this. If they can learn to become acceptant of other human beings instead of judgmental and see things from other perspective and give that 
that is the biggest gift you can give to a woman because not only as we talked about it create enormous emotional intimacy same physically you know when we talk about sexuality men will so often ask me about physical techniques and yes you can learn some physical techniques but it will only take you that far but the fact is if you can get a woman to trust you that she's accepted in everything that she expressed that's when you can really get her to reveal her most core and deepest desires and that she'll feel comfortable expressing herself fully with you in a free way so you know this one thing can be create both the deepest i think emotional and also physical intimacy for you and your relationships i agree and, and also i think as a as a woman that's the greatest gift you can give a man or to give your partner I agree is you know allowing their vulnerability and you know just try it try it out and see how deep it takes you in your relationship that's beautiful adam you know what i oh, think what? yeah do you have something else you want to add in here i just wanted to mention you know this works it doesn't have to be a heterosexual relationship as well you know you might be women with women or men with men but this is also something that's so so powerful and and wonderful Thank you for mentioning that and you're absolutely spot on. The fact is this has nothing to do with gender. It's about our human condition and our humanity and togetherness. So thank you Adam. And I just really enjoyed this podcast with you. I think there's a lot of good value here that people can take away. And I can't wait to do another podcast with you. So I just want to think here as we finish up, um if you enjoyed this and go check out Adam's website at togetherness.com and of course You should already know my website sensenter.com if you want to look more at that. So check back in here and come back to the podcast and me and Adam will discuss different topics and hopefully you will learn a lot. So take care and have a beautiful day. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you go to the website sensenter.com, then I recommend you check out the 1-hour free webinar where you'll learn the four reasons that relationships break down and it's probably not what you think. How your attachment style may fuel conflict with your partner. This is a big aha moment for couples. Discover if your habits cause conflict and what you can do about it. I'll answer tons of questions we got from couples over the years, and you'll learn why people cheat and the one tip that can prevent it, and uncover how you can unlock your partner's hidden desires so they share them with you and not someone else. The three-step formula to lasting love. You'll discover the simple psychology of love and how you can apply it immediately. Um, so learn that framework and the free practical solutions to lasting passion in long-term relationships. And if you're really serious, committed to having an amazing relationship, then also check out the Sita Love membership program, a monthly subscription program, or the Soma eight-week online relationship masterclass on the website. Um, all the links are in the podcast description. So thank you so much for listening today, and I will see you next week.